passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UFC 250 Post Show. I'm John Pollock, along with Phil, the technician, Chertok, who is steering this ship. I am just along here for the ride, but we are live here at youtube.com slash postwrestling, just moments removed from maybe the most one-sided UFC main event in recent memory, maybe of our entire memories. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing good, John. We're 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 back in Vegas, and uh, I've got the attire to match. Um, yeah, it was a pretty uh, one-sided main event that was a kind of lackluster ending in some ways, even though it was a showcase uh, to what was a pretty amazing night of fights. Yeah, I mean, there was um, certainly going through this card. I thought it, this was a card that was obviously not going to be uh, a, a gigantic. Uh, uh, have a gigantic appeal to to people beyond I think fight fans that uh, we're we're going to be tuning into this. But I think you had like a lot of interesting stories, primarily based around the bantamweight division. That uh, that bantamweight class they were the stars of tonight's show. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, some uh, really great fights, uh, some really great finishes all throughout the night, and uh, on the fights that weren't finishes, still pretty entertaining fights. I mean, and it, it's pretty amazing the spring of consecutive good events that the UFC has put on even long before this uh, pandemic break. So uh, before we get into the fights, we are live. You have put a lot of work into this, uh, Phil. What was tonight like for you? Uh, how, how is the Discord rocking? And how, how are we doing this? How are we live streaming? How's this going? Yeah, it's it's going great. Discord was great. We had a lot of people chatting uh, in in the in the uh, Discord channel, watching the fights, uh, people commenting, enjoying uh, the uh, event, uh, particularly the incredible knockouts that we saw during the main card, and a lot of people looking forward to this live stream. So, uh, uh, really exciting that we get the opportunity to interact uh, with people this time. We'll uh, hopefully take some questions from uh, either the Discord chat or the YouTube chat uh later on um but yeah so far so good yeah i'm i'm in a great mood it's only 1 a.m sometimes yes we we never know when this is going to be i think the latest we've ever started was two so this is i mean uh this is nothing yeah it's great i mean i i feel fresh as a daisy and uh compared to this is the freshest you've ever sounded uh at the start of one of these i think it's i think it's putting all this burden on you to make sure this stream works i think it just gets you all wired well, that, you know what? To be honest, that is a part of it. I was a little bit extra, <laughs> extra cautious. Like, well, I mean, on it, look, to be perfectly frank, and I've said this before, when I watch UFC on a Saturday night, it's a leisure activity for me usually, uh, even though I take the show very seriously. So, you know, I indulge in some beers and stuff like that. But 
you know, I got to keep it straight for the fans because I got to deliver an entertaining broadcast that's together, tight, and on point with the analysis that they expect from myself and yourself, a person whose tweets appear on UFC television. I'm a I'm a very important deal. Uh, so so do not do not drag down my good name uh, with 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 this stream. I yeah. only hope my one request is that we get some of the as I dubbed them the other night some filters. Well, I mean we were, we already we already saw some and uh, there will be some more later. I mean my only complaint is that I this is the first time I've had to wear a baseball cap in. Uh, in like, I don't know, like 15 years or so. And that's because I haven't been able to find a bootleg uh, haircut place yet, even though I'm in desperate search of one. So, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just reveal, uh, sort of where I'm at, uh, with, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I, might, I might have to turn the screen off on my, on my end. <laughs> it's going to throw me and it's going to throw the podcast listeners off too. But hey, if you do not. If you're not watching this, podcast listeners, you're missing out. But this is the new format for the UFC post shows, uh, barring uh, uh, some gigantic uh, screw up tonight, which uh, with Phil in control of everything, we're in very good hands. Uh, <laughs> I think this is a great format to do for the uh, for the UFC post show. So a big round of applause to Phil because uh, any any positive about this format, it's all on Phil. I had nothing to do with this. So Phil, a round of applause from all the people listening and watching to you. Well. Thank you very much, John. And but I suppose that if there's any positivity, then uh, that means I'm also deserving of any negativity as well. So uh, we'll, well see. I, I didn't imply, but if uh, if it comes your way, when <laughs> Phil threw this idea, I said, "What does this mean for me?" And he said, "You don't have to do anything different." I said, "I'm sold. I'm all in." <laughs> <laughs> all I all I do different is I, I can I can literally see you right now. But uh, I wish I could have seen you. When these scores were read out, so let's start off with uh, with with the main event with Amanda Nunez, Felicia Spencer for the UFC Women's Featherweight Title. This was certainly uh, as it seemed the biggest storyline for the announcers was that a dude had bet a million dollars on Amanda Nunez to win this fight that would have paid him out a hundred and sixty six thousand dollars. Which I think, from an emotional standpoint, probably got a lot of people cheering for Felicia Spencer internally uh, to see this guy lose a million dollars on this fight. But that did not happen. It was the furthest thing from it. And I don't know if you want to go round by round, Phil, but this was as one-sided a title fight as may we may have ever seen in UFC history in terms of a, a five-round fight. Like, we have seen some explosive finishes, uh, early, you know, short fights, but over five rounds that require judges to put scores down, uh, this might take the cake. Because I, I will say right now, I scored this one 50-42, and I cannot recall scoring a fight 50-42 in my life. That would mean three 10-8 rounds, and that may have been generous at times. But I think that that was not an outrageous score at all. Um, I don't think it was an outrageous score, as uh, I show my love for uh, the Lioness who uh, reigns supreme uh, once again tonight. Um, I, I only had it with uh, two 10-8 rounds, uh, the 10-8 rounds being the third and the mm -hmm. fourth. And then I had the fifth sort of being this merciful round that Nunez decided to take her down and sort of 
not really beat her up so much. We're, we're um, very close. The only one I had in addition to that was round one, where she outlanded her 18 to one. So I went with the first round as a 10-8, but then I had three and four as well. So, I mean, they, these were just destructive rounds where it was not only the volume from Amanda Nunez, but nothing in response from Felicia Spencer. He, she was just surviving. That was the story of this fight was her just surviving. That was it. Yeah, I mean, for the first couple rounds, it looked like she was able to take Amanda's best shot. Uh, but then in the third round, it really started to turn and she started to get rocked. And at that point, I, I started to even think about, you know, maybe the towel would be necessary because it, it just started to appear like there was no way for Felicia to win. And uh, Daniel Cormier made some good points uh, about why it should continue. Um, and Felicia Spencer kept trying to win even up until the end of the fight. So you, you have to give her all the credit in the world for that. Uh, but yeah, it was a dominant performance, flawless performance, like literally flawless performance. I, I can't poke any hole in Amanda Nunez, like not the slightest uh, one. She looked completely dominant for 25 minutes there was there was no hiccup along the way it was a shutout from Amanda Nunez I think with Felicia Spencer I think she was somewhat uh maybe demoralized is too strong a term but I think she really had confidence in her takedowns that were just there was nothing behind these takedowns and it was Amanda just shrugged them off anytime Felicia was going for one and then later in the fight, her corner is just hammering her during the, uh, in between rounds to get that takedown. There was no way that was happening. Um, mm -hmm. And it just seemed that beyond that, it was trying to limit Amanda's output. And she was she was very economical with her strikes. Like you could see when she'd go into those big bursts at the end of the rounds that would suddenly go from uh, a, a fairly safe 10-9 round to utter domination in those in those final minutes it was a masterful performance from amanda nunez i don't know how much more to say i did not ever feel as uncomfortable as the glover Teixeira uh, anthony smith fight recently but this this was a fight that felicia spencer was just taking unnecessary damage at a certain point but especially in ufc we have this structure where for a corner to throw in the towel you are costing your fighter that win bonus. And I think it's something that is always going to make it very difficult for corners to make that decision. And in Anthony Smith's uh, case, coming out and saying, like, any any corner that would stop my fight will never be in my corner again. So I, I, I don't know really what the responsibility is for the corners. It would be nice if that was more part of the MMA culture, but it's not. And I don't think that's going to change overnight. Uh, no, it's not going to change overnight. And I, I think also even more so than the win bonus, um, corners might feel pressure that, you know, this is maybe the only time this person's going to get a shot at a championship. And so it's such a pivotal moment in their life that they don't want to rob them of the chance to win. Um, but, uh, you do have to look at it uh, objectively as objectively as possible. And, and you have to honestly assess, does your fighter have a chance to win? And um, it looked really bad at the end of the fourth. Yeah. I think that that was the, like even the, the person that is maybe 
holding out that optimism of Felicia Spencer just landing that that Hail Mary strike. I mean, the fourth round, that was completely sh- – the door was shut. There was no turning this around. It was sending your fighter out for five more minutes of damage. There's no possible route to victory here. She lasted 25 minutes, so if you classify that as a moral victory, she made it. She can say that she went the distance with Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunez, one of which was a 25-minute a championship fight. But beyond that, Phil, with Amanda Nunez, is do you expect her to just keep up this pace of fighting at, at both weight classes? What is the future of the women's featherweight division? Um, I don't know about uh, fighting at both weight classes, uh, to make 135, it's obviously more work for her. And there's just no real incentive to do that if she's able to fight at the same people at 145. Um, and in this fight, uh, you know, she, you know, she's the 145 pound division typically hasn't had a lot of fights and she hasn't had so many fights at that weight class. Um, and this one, her physique looked the best. She looked as lean as I've ever seen her. She looked very similar to how she looks at 135. And so I just think that 145 is the ideal weight. And unless there's a real financial incentive, why would she go to 135? I guess the biggest question, though, is like what who is at 145 um, to find at this point? Like this is Felicia Spencer coming off one victory over uh, uh, one of your favorites, uh, Zara Fame Dos Santos, who was able to uh, lead to this title fight for Felicia Spencer. Uh, it's just it's a division that, as I look here, uh, do, do you know uh, who make up the the top five in the rankings of the women's featherweight division? Uh, the top five. Does get, 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 Fel- Felicia Spencer? Right? It's a trick question because uh, on the UFC's ranking <laughs> oh, site. There's- <laughs> it okay. is champion Amanda Nunez and blank. There is no one that even makes up the rankings uh, uh-huh. at featherweight. So this is – it's pretty much the uh, Cody Rhodes open challenge. That's what Felicia uh, – sorry, uh, Amanda Nunez – it's like, if you want to fight for this title, you can have it. Anyone at Bantamweight can come up and challenge me for this title is pretty much what this division is at this point. Yeah, well... Um... With Cyborg gone, Katzengano gone, I mean, there's... Um, Holly Holmes had her chance. It's... Uh, this is a wide-open division, and I agree with you. I think in a, in a perfect world, Amanda Nunez looked great at 145, never got tired. I, I would think that as she's getting older, maybe the cut down to Bantamweight is... Not as enticing, but you don't really have a division at all here at featherweight. Yeah, you're you're totally right on that. Uh, maybe the play is let her take a break, give her an opportunity to do some other types of needed, expose herself. I mean, she's about to have a kid. That's mm-hmm. a big life uh, event, and so you know, give her an opportunity to concentrate on that, and maybe give give her an opportunity to think about her own new goals. Uh, you know, she, she, as she said, she closed a chapter by becoming the first fighter to defend titles in multiple weight classes. And so I'm sure she'll have some new goals and hopefully they're in MMA. Um, but uh, I think we should just give her a break and maybe a contender will emerge in that time. It's probably the best time that with, um, you know, with Nina Ansarov having a, a, the couple having a child that now would be a time where she could disappear for a couple months. And as you said, hopefully someone emerges um, at either weight class. I mean, it's not like anyone is uh, beating down the doors at 135 either. 
Um, it's, you know, Aspen Ladd's kind of in that mix, but I mean, she's gone through quite a lot of the women there as well. So, um, taking a bit of a break, uh, maybe the divisions, some people rise to the top and eight months from now, we, we do have a few names that emerge. Yeah. Yeah. One can only hope. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Asuncao. This was one of the many bantamweight fights on this card. Cody Garbrandt coming back after more than a year away uh, with three consecutive losses. Uh, the two to TJ Dillashaw and then the knockout to Pedro Munoz last March at UFC 235. Uh, he was splitting his time uh, both at Team Alpha Male and then working with uh, Coach Mark Henry for this fight. Uh, Rafael Asuncao, he is now 37 years old. He's coming off losses himself to uh, Marlon Marias and Corey Sandhagen. And in the first round, I thought we saw a much more measured and patient Cody Garbrandt. We got to see him exercise a lot of his footwork. He was using leg kicks. Uh, it was a close round. I gave it to Garbrandt here. And then in the second, you see him uh, utilizing leg kicks. Uh, a sun sow then starts to get his timing. And he's starting to have uh, more of the momentum as the, the round goes on. And... Garbrandt drills him with his right hand and he kind of goes down to a knee and he's insisting it's a slip. And Daniel Cormier is on the seeing the replay saying it did not appear to be a, a slip. But nonetheless, Gar Garbrandt left no doubt at the end of this with a right hand from the depths of despair that came with a second remaining uh, that just put a Sunsau to sleep as referee Keith Peterson waved it off. Four minutes, 59 seconds of the first round. As clean a knockout as you're going to see, um, unless you watch the entire main card, and then there might be a debate by the end of it as well, because we got two of the year's top knockouts uh, within about an hour of each other, uh, this being one of them. I can't say that this was... Uh, Cody Garbrandt, I think, so desperately needed this for his career. Oh yeah, absolutely. And not, not just needed a win, needed, um, a, an emphatic a, one. Yeah. And, and yes. And even a win that just demonstrated a maturation, I think more so than even anything. And that you definitely got where, uh, as you mentioned, he was measured and even in the uh, final sequence of the fight, which was just incredible, the two guys sort of like, they almost took a break, looked at each other, decided they were going to both cock and fire, and Garbrandt was just picture perfect with his accuracy. Um, and Daniel Cormier had this great analysis where he showed that uh, Garbrandt was just... you eyeing him the whole time as he's dipping and setting up the shot. And that's very different than what happened in his knockouts where he would close his eyes and swing. So it was a wild swing, but it was still calculated. And uh, the amount of improvement that he showed in this fight, um, you know, I, I don't want to say I, I wrote, I had wrote him off, but I, I wasn't, I didn't think uh, I'd, consider him uh, to be back in the title picture so quickly. It, it answered a, a number of questions. It, you know, he did take shots in this fight. It wasn't a case of just landing a punch early and we're still, you know, how, how will his chin stand up to a big shot? He took some shots in this fight. And I would say with this win, we have to completely end all talk of going to flyweight. Can we just throw that idea out the window? 
Yeah, I mean, he looked great. His his speed was fantastic. Obviously, he had this incredible power. Uh, he, and he had the calmness. Like, he, he, he fought smart. And, and there was a couple times where he did eat some shots. And it's, it, you know, my concern was never that he was so, quote unquote chinny. It was that he would get into these firefights that are 50 50. Yeah. And like, you know, and even though that last sort of exchange was reminiscent of that, as I already mentioned, uh, the frame by frame analysis shows it was highly calculated. So uh, a gigantic win for, for Cody Garbrandt for a Sun Sow, I think. You know, at 37, this is certainly going to be a, a young person's weight class where where speed is imperative. And with the Sun Sao, I, I mean, he was he was looking fine in in this fight, but with three in a row in such a super stacked division, you certainly have to be looking at him on on the decline at this point. Yeah, I'm. Well, I think uh, it makes sense to maybe uh, put him in there with another uh, one of the losers from uh, the division that I'm sure we're going to get to uh, next. Yeah, we had Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen. I think this was maybe the most interesting fight on paper going into this card. Uh, Aljamain Sterling, he's won his last four, uh, including a win coming uh, in June of last year against Pedro Munoz. So it's been a year since we uh, last saw him. And Corey Sanhagen is undefeated in the UFC. He has won seven straight going back to his days in uh, LFA. And he last fought uh, Rafael Asuncao last August. So Sterling immediately gets on top of his back and pulls him down to the mat. And he's going for a choke. And it's more so right across the jaw. And Sanhagen is able to withstand this pressure. Sterling gives up the the pressure, but then still has the body triangle applied. And as he's shifting around, he reapplies this being a deep choke. And Corey Sandhagen does not tap. He goes out cold at a minute 28 of the first round. Just a phenomenal submission by Aljamain Sterling and wins his fifth in a row and catapults himself. Uh, Maybe catapult. This guy's already super high up. And I think many people thought that these two should be fighting for the now vacant bantamweight title. But uh, Aljamain Sterling, this was like this caps off any kind of uh, comeback after that Marlon Marais knockout. It puts him right at the top of this division. Absolutely. And I mean, it puts him uh, at the top of the division in an exciting way that makes people want to see him. Um, Yeah, it was, you know, it was an even money fight nearly on paper. Um, I was very high on Sanhagen. And Aljamain just sort of, uh, just ran right over him. The, the crank to, on the first choke attempt along the jawline was just brutal looking. Um, I do think though that Sandhagen did tap and then he actually passed out after, uh, he let go of the choke, but, uh, I could be wrong about that. I, I did pay attention on the replay and it looked like he had the hand up. Because I had thought at first he had tapped two, and it looks like he put his thumb up, and there may have been the motion to tap. So it 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 was kind of uh, not super c- conclusive. But the announcers yeah. were just screaming that uh, he went out cold, and the guy did go out. So this yeah. was uh, his first loss in the UFC. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a lot. Like, the depth of this division, a loss like this, it does set you back qu- quite a number of fights, I would say. Uh, but, man, the... The, the picture at Bantamweight is there's so many different directions to go in, and hopefully they can make a whole bunch of different fights coming out of tonight because that's the most exciting division going right now. It is the most exciting division, 
And maybe, you know, you have these guys at the top can create a little bit of stir and maybe you can entice a former bantamweight champion to return for, you know, a big payday. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's if this was a power play by Henry Cejudo, I would say the UFC kind of wins this one because, man, you've got so many different options here. I don't know if, how reliant you are on on a Henry Cejudo coming back. It's like you've got plenty of different um, players now at, at bantamweight. But, I mean, you'd love to see Henry Cejudo in this mix in the prime of his career uh, fighting any number of these guys. I would love to see him f- fighting an Aljamain Sterling or a, or a Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, I, I would love it as well. Um, I don't think it was a power play, but I, I do think that, you know, it, he's serious enough, right? Like he retired from wrestling. Oh, yeah. I, I feel much more, I, I believe he will fight again, but I'm, you know, when we talked last month, when he just made the announcement out of nowhere, I didn't even think it would get to, you know, a month later, we'd just be talking about Henry Cejudo preparing for an- another fight. Now I think it's going to be at least a hiatus um, and maybe a lengthy one before we see him come back again. I'm not shutting the door on him never fighting again, though, at 32. Well, he's got to back up Mike Tyson for a while, right? For now, yes. I guess that's uh, d- doing cameos on on Dynamite. Uh, where So they're going ahead with, with uh, Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo for the vacant bantamweight title. Do you see like uh, a Sterling, a Garbrandt, just kind of not everyone can just just sit and wait. Let, let's talk about Sterling first. What what is the move for Aljamain Sterling? Because I think it would be near impossible to convince this guy that his next fight can be anything but a championship fight. Well, um, what I would uh, try to if I were him, I would. Uh, Daniel Cormier sort of already suggested what he might want to do is. Uh, stay ready. He didn't take any damage in this fight, not that we could see. Um, and then uh, maybe try to coordinate a way to get to wherever this mysterious international fight could happen um, in case there's uh, an opening. And if there's no opening, then, um, you know, wait wait a few months. Because it, it sounds like the Yan Aldo fight is going to be soon. So, um, like, they're putting together fights a week in advance. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would just wait for Aljamain and definitely he deserves to be, uh, fighting for a title. Uh, Cody still has a way to go. Right. Um, and, um, so but I, he, I, he would, I, I think he will leapfrog a lot of other guys just because of, uh, his name value and the way in which he won tonight that I think it will piss off a lot of bantamweights, but I could see Garbrandt being r- r- right in that mix. Garbrandt Marais. You know, Marlon Marais is the total victim of – like, he's not even being discussed in this picture. He's the guy that's coming off a win over Jose Aldo, and it feels like he's just totally forgotten at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, a loss and then a sort of lackluster performance even though it was a win, and people seem to just, like, uh, write you off. And But, you know, he's a super exciting fighter, and he's gonna he's getting better. Mar- Marais um, and Garbrandt. Would be yeah, I, lo- I love that dynamite, yeah, but- and that would that would answer any questions we have about Garbrandt and his ability to take a shot. But that's that's an outstanding fight on paper. Yeah, yeah. Let's just uh, you and I, you and I can do the uh, the matchmaking. Neil Mag, I don't know. UFC is doing a pretty good job, man. Like all these, like when's the last stinker they had? 
Well, uh, in terms of cards or or fights, yeah, because yeah, cards, cards, cards. Of course, you know you get a stinker. Because we're about to talk about Neil Magny and Anthony Rocco Martin, which um, this this was the unofficial intermission on the main card. <laughs> um, Neil Magny won this fight by unanimous decision, which I think could certainly be be questioned. Um, Anthony Rocco Martin was coming into this fight. This is his last fight on his current UFC deal. Uh, Magny, this is his twenty second UFC fight. And he's only been in the UFC since 2013, so that's that's a remarkable output that the man has had. Um, first round, I mean, uh, I would say the first two rounds, this, this was not the most engaging fight. Uh, Martin was constantly working for the takedown, and he was able to land a right hand after the break. Magny's kind of using these uh, calf kicks th- throughout, and... I had uh, Martin narrowly winning the first two rounds, and then the third comes around, and it's like Neil Magny woke up, and he dominated this third round. He avoids a takedown, and he's just unloading on him with jabs. He's going with hands and knees to the body, and I mean, this was enough that I I think you could certainly argue whether this was a 10-8 round. I did not go 10-8. I had it 10-9, so I had it 29-28 for Martin, but... Uh, these judges did not agree with me. They had it 30-27, 30-27, and 29-28 for Neil Magny. I am very curious about your scorecard. Who's crazy, the judges or me? Uh, you're not crazy. Uh, I would say the judges are crazy. Uh, I had it – I actually scored it a draw. I had it exactly the same as you with that third round being 10-8 for Magny. Well, I'll, uh, I'll back you up because uh, during this fight, I, I did hear from a, a credentialed MMA judge who told me that was a 10-8 round in the third. So uh, a, a judge out there would agree with your, with your scorecard, Phil. Okay. I'll retire right now. <laughs> And, but, uh, yeah, I didn't feel bad. Like it wasn't a bad, um, uh, I didn't think that the decision was bad in terms of who won. Magni did an, I mean, the last round was amazing and you could certainly make a case that he won one of those two rounds. It's just hard to imagine how two judges didn't give Martin at least one round. Those 30, 27s were nuts. They were nuts. I I had a hard enough time. I I, I will give you that. Like the 29, 28, I think that's, that's hard, but not impossible. I thought the first was, it was very close. So 29, 28, I can't get too uh, bent out of shape over, but the 30, 27s were, I I was just shocked when I heard those for, for either side. I couldn't see either fighter winning a straight 30, 27 score in this fight. Yeah, well, I mean, once you heard thirty twenty seven, it was obvious who won because the third round was so oh, clear. Oh, Phil, Phil, I don't, I don't give any benefit of the doubt <laughs> that they could have seen that for, as a Martin round, for God's sake. Uh, yeah. But yeah, not, not, um, you know, the third round was a lot of action from Neil Magny's side, but this was uh, not one of the fights that I expect too many people to be uh, downloading the show and immediately finding our analysis of. But. Maybe this fight was. It opened up the main card. Eddie Wineland, a veteran of the sport, taking on Sean O'Malley. Undefeated Sean O'Malley, who's coming off that tremendous victory over Jose Quinones back at UFC 248 uh, in March, where he had missed two years of action, came back with a very impressive TKO victory. But he certainly put that uh, in the rearview mirror, because in this fight, there's a right-hand uh, counter that lands for Wineland, and O'Malley just eats it, and then he attacks the body. He does a right uppercut feint, and that sets up this right knock, this right-hand knockout. And when I say knockout, I mean 
Eddie Wineland just does the nesty plunge, and he is like consciousness is leaving his body before it hits the mat. And Sean O'Malley sees this man's soul evaporate into the air, and he just so calmly turns around. It was just the most visual, shocking knockout you're going to see. I mean, just you could just show this to someone and they would be horrified. It was just an unbelievable knockout. I'm I'm gonna do my 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 best uh, Eddie Wineland impression right now. Okay, okay, here we go. Are you ready? Jesus. <laughs> YouTube.com slash post wrestling. All the context necessary. You have just that, gone crazy you, with this. You that's that's his soul. That's his consciousness leaving his body. That's dude. Uh, this was um, man. Which, which was I, I'm really hoping we get the bonuses before the end of the night. How do the, how do how do Sean O'Malley and Cody Garbrandt do not both get uh, bonuses? And Aljamain Sterling's gonna get screwed out of a, <laughs> a out of a out of a bonus. I mean, both those guys have to get bonuses tonight those were two of the best knockouts this year that could finish one two this year oh absolutely i mean uh both of them were incredible in their own way um i mean both in different technical ways from a theatrical standpoint uh yeah really awesome um yeah hard hard to pick now with sean o'malley another piece of this insane bantamweight picture he is someone that i I, I I would not want to see him throw into the wolves quite yet, but I think that's what's going to happen. That is such a UFC trait that given this guy's popularity that you could argue is the, the biggest potential star of any of these bantamweights. It's Sean O'Malley, but also one that uh, given the nature of this victory, like he is going to be thrown to one of these sharks. They're all sharks at bantamweight. So I, I don't think the idea of bringing this guy along any slower, I don't think that's possible. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give him to one of those top guys right now. Um, Eddie Wineland was a big step up, uh, in terms of experience, but I think you can still groom him a bit. Um, here, here are some options. Okay. So he, he's not even in the top 15 yet. Um, from, from 15 on up, we have Marlon Vera, Song Yadong, John Dodson, Cody Stamen. Dominic Cruz, I could actually see him getting a level of... I, I don't see him getting, like, a small name. I could see a Rob Font, John, Dominic Cruz level. Uh, Pedro Munoz, like, that level. You don't think John Dodson's a good one, you know? I just feel in their next fight... Also worth noting was Sean O'Malley afterwards was stating he wants to uh, renegotiate his contract. So that, I, I would imagine, he believes that he is owed a lot more than what he's making right now. So... That could always be a um, a potential barrier, but I mean, this guy has superstar level potential. Um, yeah, I mean, with a performance like that, like uh, honestly, like even after his uh, uh, tremendous performance last time, I don't want to say, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to say I wasn't high on him, but I wasn't a hundred percent sold. Uh, but this performance was a masterclass and, uh, yeah, uh, the sky's the limit on this guy in, uh, what is quickly becoming, uh, one of the most exciting divisions in MMA. 
yeah, to, to me, he, he represents the, the biggest potential star. Uh, but also, I mean, as he's talking about wanting a, a larger contract, you know, when, when you're, you are making that larger money, that's when you get thrown into the biggest fights because they're not going to be paying yes. you an enormous figure. And hey, you're going to be fighting Marlon Vera next. Um, that's that will also catapult you uh, that much higher. So I, I'm very interested to see where where he goes next in this division and and ultimately, you know how how he fares against that competition. But man, he has had two incredible uh, finishes this year. But this this knockout was was breathtaking. Absolutely. So that was the the main card, a pretty a pretty exciting main card, I thought overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I know you were a little sour on the Magni fight, but there was drama towards the end there. Magni was putting it on Martin. Martin was surviving. So I thought overall, uh, it was it was a good card and worth watching. All right, uh, we'll quickly go through this uh, undercard, and then we will open it up to questions. If you want to uh, submit any, and we will uh, take those from uh, from the forum, from the chat room. Uh, Alex Caceres defeated uh, Chase Hooper. This was you know, kind of uh, dovetails off our discussion of a Sean O'Malley uh, and not to compare him to Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper is, is much more um, at the early stages of his career, but this is just a case fill of a guy that was thrown into the, the deep end and Alex Caceres uh, destroyed this guy standing. Yeah. This actually kind of reminded me of the main event um, in that uh, Chase Hooper, man, can he take a shot? But uh, that doesn't mean you should be. Um, and, and they brought this up like a 20 year old taking this, this damage. I mean, this is, I mean, he's either going to significantly learn from this experience, uh, but I mean, his striking is, you know, just not at this level. Uh, he's a great grappler, but at 20 years old, I mean, Joe Rogan even brought it up that he sh- probably shouldn't be fighting in the UFC. He should be out there fighting guys. And like, this is Alex Caceres is a guy that has had, uh, over 20 UFC fights and this is Chase Hooper's second uh this this to me was just a bad fight to make this early for a guy in his infancy yeah in retrospect that's correct uh I liked the matchup uh before it happened uh I was pretty high on Hooper and I thought his jiu-jitsu skills would be good enough to even this matchup a little bit more. But uh, yeah, Caceres was just two seasoned. And uh, yeah, let's slow the train on Hooper. But I mean, you know, if he can get even just a little bit of striking down, the relentlessness that he's able to put on people, it, it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we shouldn't be looking at Chase Hooper as a finished project. He's 20. I mean, this oh, guy, yeah. like yeah. God, no, like this, this could turn into, you know, this was obviously an incredibly difficult fight to get through, but one that, okay, you now know you have a glaring hole to fill in your striking. So that could be, you know, the impetus to change things up and, and realize that your your game is far from complete and you're 20. It shouldn't be complete at 20. Uh, Ian Heinish versus uh, Gerald Mearshart. This one only went a minute 14 uh, when Ian uh, Heinish dropped him with his overhand right, and then he swarmed him, and uh, referee Chris Tyone gave Gerald Mearshart every opportunity to uh, get out of uh, absorbing all this damage, and he just took an enormous amount of strikes before it was finally stopped, and Ian Heinish uh, gets his win. Uh, he had two previous losses coming into this fight, so he snaps that losing skid, and yeah, gets a really good finish here on the undercard. 
Yeah, very impressive by uh, Cody Stamen and, uh, you know, uh, no, this was the Ian sorry, Heinisch. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Ian Heinisch. Sorry, I'm... Uh, Getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, Heinisch uh, coming back after a tough loss and uh, looking really good, uh, saying that his training in Thailand, uh, you know, is paying off and it's looking like it is. And He, he told still- Joe Rogan that God took him to Thailand. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was a very, um, you know, uh, God heavy, uh, post fight interview for him. Um, but I'd be uh, worried about that. Like if you're, <laughs> you know, if, if you're putting your complete faith in, in, in God, like could you go to sleep one night and wake up in, in, in Thailand? I mean, do you have any say over this? Well, maybe it's more of a calling. Yeah. Oh, you must <laughs> yeah. go. Okay, well, okay. he should clarify the wording then. Like, God instructed me to go to Thailand. God did not physically take you to Thailand. I mean, that would be just, it would just seem to be, uh, I mean, maybe that's how you travel in, during the pandemic. Well, I, I was just going to say, even God's having a tough time. Even he has to sit in quarantine for 14 days. So. Yes, religious distancing. Um, so Ian Heinisch gets a victory here. He improves to 14 and 3. Then we go to uh, Cody Stamen and yep. Brian Kelleher. And... So Brian Kelleher just fought on May 13th. So he's coming back uh, ultra quick to fight. Uh, he usually uh, – both of these guys are bantamweights, but Kelleher fought at featherweight a few weeks ago. So he uh, – to come back so quickly, stayed at featherweight. Cody Stamen uh, just had um, a, a terrible event occur where his younger brother died on May 27th at the age of 18. So I cannot imagine – well, there's – the part, Phil, that you can't imagine how this guy was able to prepare for this fight over the last week and a half, but that might have also been a necessary distraction. And it seemed that by the end of this fight, it's like the real world all fell down on this guy afterwards because I'm sure there was having this fight was a distraction from having to handle like just a completely catastrophic event in your life. Yeah, uh, like you said, uh, it's it's. It's pretty hard to imagine, and and uh, the details, uh, the, they don't know the details, the reason why his brother passed yet, and so that mystery could only add to the uh, anxiety around such a horrible uh, event. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe it was some form of escape for him. Um, he was able to put on a very good performance mm-hmm. in the octagon. I mean, particularly, um, with his defensive abilities. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, when the fight was over, um, all that emotion that he'd been, uh, holding in, it, it came out, um, on screen, um, for, uh, for the world to see. Yeah. I mean, he came out and uh, performed very well. Um, Clearly won the first two rounds. Uh, you mentioned his defensive skills. Uh, there was a stat here from John Anik. In the first round, he evaded 80% of the strikes thrown by Brian Kelleher in that round. Uh, Brian Kelleher had his best round in the third. That's when he uh, started to have some success with his left hand and going to the body. Uh, Stamen slowed down a little bit here. So I had it 29-28 for Stamen, but the judges gave all three rounds to Cody Stamen. And when this fight ended, uh, he was in tears and it was an extremely emotional interview with Joe Rogan speaking to him afterward and Joe Rogan was choking up as well it was a a very emotional scene afterward yeah i mean how can it not be and 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 you know i think 
everybody going into this event had like had you know heavy thoughts from what has transpired in the world in the last week or so um and so i i think just in general emotions are high and and so um when you hear such a tragic story that you know can't even contemplate really it, it it's you know even now like i'm getting emotional so how did you feel about the uh, the interview setup tonight? Because unlike the last pay-per-view, Joe Rogan did not get into the cage. These were done uh, on a split screen where very much like the Contender Series where they would just uh, bring them over uh, to the back area and then they'd do the post-fight interview. I-, I thought it worked out really well. Yeah, I think it works out well. More so than than it being in the cage, what I like is that it's just – it's. The two, the two aspects that I like about it are that it's not in front of fans, so the fighter's not playing to the fans, and uh, the corner men and, and uh, corner people aren't yelling instructions at them. So it's a one-on-one conversation, and so uh, the personalities really come out. Um, it, it uh, you know, I, I, I still wouldn't mind like a interpersonal contact, sort of like that Mean Gene style from back in the day, but that's, you know, to come in time uh, when it's appropriate. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I think it's a better way for the fighters' personalities to come out. Even even guys who are lower on the card, they sort of get a little moment to shine. And um, like, uh, who was it uh, tonight that um, the Hawaiian... Ma- uh, Mackie Patolo. Yeah, you know, what a, what a, what a great uh, performance he had in his uh, victory speech. He defeated Charles Bird uh, by TKO at 110 of the second round. Uh, this was when um, they, they had a close first round, and then Bird is just swinging wildly, and Patolo starts countering him and attacks the head and the body, sweeps Bird to the mat, and just starts landing these huge shots. And when they showed the replay, like you could see the clean strikes that were landing, especially to the body that I think did it in for Bird, who was just finished here once he got swept and... Uh, just got hit with all these strikes. Uh, so Mackie Patolo gets the win. And several hours afterwards, uh, Charles Bird announced on Facebook he was retiring. So this was it. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, is how old is Charles Bird? Let he's me click 36. Click oh, okay. So he's he's up there. He was, uh, you know, 10 and 7 after this fight. So... Uh, yeah, he's had and he's had some tough losses of late. I think it's three in a row that he's lost. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, probably going to get cut and, you know. Yeah, and uh, Mackie Patolo has the nickname Coconut Bombs. Okay. Coconuts, you know, they're hard to break. <laughs> Alex Perez, uh, Juicy A4 Miga. This one went uh, 4.06 of the first round. This, to me, was uh, just uh, two flyweights at different stages of their careers, where one is on the upside and one is on the decline. Juicy A4 Miga, who... You know, he was always like the bridesmaid in this division, but always a a solid name throughout the entire existence of this flyweight division. Uh, But tonight, he was so much slower. Alex Perez just was so much quicker and attacked him with leg kicks. His hands were flying. And, I mean, it was just um, Alex Perez just, to me, just dominated this. He ends up... Uh, attacking him with a leg kick and Formiga loses his balance and then takes another leg kick. And this time the fight gets waved off. That's how brutal these leg kicks were. And Alex Perez uh, improves to 24 and five. Uh, He's 28 years old. And 
yeah, his only loss in the UFC has been to Joseph Benavidez. Yeah, and uh, there's no uh, no shame in that. Uh, Benavidez being, you know, a, a longtime uh, top top uh, contender in uh, the flyweight division and even in the bantamweight division. Um, yeah, super per- uh, good performance uh, by Perez. His footwork was amazing, and yeah, these calf kicks, as the commentators were mentioning, are becoming uh, the deadliest weapon in 2020. Devin Clark defeated uh, Alonzo Menafield, who was an undefeated. Uh, prospect coming off of Dana White's contender series where he won a fight in eight seconds and this was the longest fight of his career he has never gone to the judges his last four fights didn't even get out of the first round uh but you know that's the kind of the double-edged sword that's a really um impressive looking record on paper but then you question well what how will he do against someone that uh, can take him deeper into a fight and we found out that question here he had a round in him where he Nearly finished him in the first round, but then in the second, Devin Clark turned things around. Uh, he won the second and third, and you know, Menafield, it was uh, a difficult task for him to get through two and three. So they went to the judges' scorecards 30 27, 29 28, and 29 28. Uh, there is no way Alonzo Menafield lost that first round, but nonetheless, I thought the right guy won here in Devin Clark. Yeah, uh, I definitely, uh, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you were saying. I do think that there were some uh, positives to look at for Menafield despite getting tired. I mean, he he's got a lot man. of power. It's just a matter yeah. of, you know, being able to c- conserve that, that power. I think that, you know, he's, he's still a young enough guy that I think we will see a lot more of him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, bright side, uh, and, you know, he hung in there in this fight, got a lot of octagon time. That experience is really important. Um, so he now he'll be able to understand what that 15 minutes is like and what his output can be during that time. And the opener was uh, Herbert Burns, the younger brother of Gilbert Burns, who just defeated Tyron Woodley last weekend, uh, submitted Evan Dunham in a minute 20 with uh, a beautiful setup for this rear naked choke where uh, – Burns was uh, taking some strikes before he got Dunham's back, secured the choke, and just rolled him over uh, to lock in the submission and submit Evan Dunham, who was coming out of retirement for this fight after walking away in September of 2018. So uh, we have Gilbert and Herbert Burns uh, now to focus on in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, is this is this the new deadliest uh, sibling combination in uh, MMA? Uh, are these guys uh, out to put the Diaz brothers on uh, run for their money? Well, I mean, the Diaz brothers. I mean, you you have to. What we're coming up on, we have passed uh, five and a half years since Nick has fought. So I, I don't know how you uh, still classify Nick Diaz and and his relationship to the sport at this point. And Nate's the Nick. The Nick Diaz army is still alive and marching. Well, that was uh, that was U- UFC 250. I would say a pretty entertaining card overall, and I didn't really doubt it would be. It looked like a lot of fun fights on paper, and one that uh, I didn't expect was going to have the interest of 249 last month, but one that I-, I mean, I'm curious. Do you think that this will get a bit of a bump just because 249 did way beyond most people's expectations? That there is UFC has done very well during this pandemic period with these cards whether it be pay-per-view or you know a larger viewership for their fight night cards yeah um 
I'm, I mean, this card in particular, I'm curious about. I did get a little bit more interest than I, uh, usually, uh, would, that I would have expected for this event. Um, it, it, it really was all on the back of Amanda Nunez. So, um, and this idea that there's nothing really else out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, so I, 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 I am curious, um, to see if the uh, sort of desire that was uh, in the audience that it, because of the, the lack of content for such a long time, if it's still there, if the ex- the streak of exciting fights is going to help this event. Um, and, you know, Amanda Nunez is an amazing athlete. And um, so, you know, sometimes it feels like you just need to wait these things out until these, these stars, you know, have these breakthrough moments. And I'm not saying that this was that, but maybe, maybe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't really have high expectations for how this one uh, performed uh, pay per view wise, but, uh, we do have the bonuses in. So there was no fight of the night bonus. So instead they gave out four performance of the night bonus bonuses to Aljamain Sterling, Cody Garbrandt, Sean O'Malley, and Alex Perez, $50,000 each. That's pretty good. I mean, I don't know how Amanda Nunez doesn't get a, a performance of the night bonus, but uh, I'm sure she'll she'll do okay. And I don't even know if this is uh, w- worth discussing, but uh, Conor McGregor retired again tonight. He wrote, hey, guys, I've decided to retire from fighting. Thank you all for the amazing memories. What a ride it's been. Here's a picture of myself and my mother in Las Vegas. Post one of my world title wins. Pick the home of your dreams. Mags, I love you. Whatever you desire, it's yours. So I think that means this guy's getting ready to fight soon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's, it, it sounds there, there like... There is no one I believe less in this world on his retirements. Just the fact that we have... We, we could go through a top like f- four to five uh, retirements Conor McGregor has, has gone through at this point. I, I put... Zero well, stock. Does that, does that even count as a retirement? Just because you tweet it? Just because you say it's like, treated like it? I mean, by, you're, you're going to see whom? every MMA site is going to report that he is retiring, and I think it's like, wh- why do? We, how much credence do we give to these these I tweets? Give, I give no credence. I give no. I, credence, I, I, I don't either. But I would give it. I would give no credence to anyone's tw- retirement tweet. Yeah. Right. Like if you're going to retire and you're a a pro athlete, you retire with a tweet, with an Instagram post, with the press release, with a combination of things through, you know, a variety of channels. Conor McGregor's a half troll. So he's trolling. I mean, I don't know why. I guess he wants to fight. Dana says he shouldn't fight until, I don't know, they can squeeze some people into an arena, I guess. And, but uh, I think Conor wants to fight. So the last fight. Uh, the last thing, just uh, g- given everything that is going on right now with, with all of the protests and what's happening, did you expect the, the UFC to have any kind of message on their broadcast tonight? And conversely, did you expect a- any of the fighters to kind of use their, their interview platform to talk about it? I think like Aljamain Sterling uh, brought it up a bit, uh, but that was the only one. Did you did you expect more or did you not, not expect that from fighters? Um. I don't know if I expected it more. I, I, I like it's sort of double edged. I definitely expected some people to say something. How, how it's it's almost it's almost inconceivable that somebody that no one would say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I can understand people's reluctance for a couple reasons. First, 
sometimes people don't feel comfortable talking about these things because they don't feel properly informed and it's a huge platform. And also, uh, you know, unfortunately, even the smallest mistake in how you, you comment on these issues can result in a lot of backlash. So, um, I can understand why people don't want to, uh, comment on it. And I can understand why people would be upset at people for not commenting on it and not taking the, the opportunity to use the platform. But, I, I can't really be too critical of people because I'm not using my platform to say too much. We should also mention UFC. They did start their broadcast last weekend with uh, like uh, in memory of George Floyd that they did dedicate the, the show to. So, I mean, they did do that last weekend. Um, nonetheless, uh, I guess we can open it up to questions, Phil, if you want to uh, take some. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, wrap up. I don't know if, it doesn't look like there's any, too many specific questions. Some people thinking that maybe Dominic Cruz would be a, uh, a good potential fight for, uh, I guess Cody Garbrandt. Um, that do the rematch. Match. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love that Garbrandt Marlon Marias idea now, uh, after, after we talked about it. But I mean, when you look at these, okay, so let's assume, uh, Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo fight. So that, that takes them out of things. You look at, Sterling is in a really good position, I would say, to get the winner. Or, I mean, if something were to happen, I think that would be your your first call. Um, Garbrandt would be up there as well. I think that Garbrandt, Marais would be a really fun fight to do. Uh, Dominic Cruz, I think you could match with almost any of these people, whether it be... Uh, that I actually wanted Cruz versus Marais. Uh, well, well, that's a fight Marais seems to want as well, which, I mean, for him... I mean, this guy's ranked number one, and Cruz is way down the list, but it is a name at, at bantamweight. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that that could be a direction you go as well, depending on uh, Cruz and how fast he wants to come back after the loss to Cejudo. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It, I, I, if I'm Cruz, I would assume, you know, of course, assuming he's as healthy as can be. Uh, I want to come back as quickly as possible because I've lost so much opportunity. I've lost so much money and, uh, he's already coming off of, I'm pretty sure it would have been his most watched pay-per-view. I'd have to go back and look at those events. So, uh, you know, and I, he, you know, and he had moments in that fight. So, uh, I think, uh, there's still a lot of interest there and, you know, we're, we're halfway through the year. Early next year, TJ TJ Dillashaw is eligible to fight in January. That's right. So, it's not so, that far away. Yeah. So matchup with Cruz, Garbrandt, um, Mariah. Uh, there's a lot of options in this division. It's a really exciting division. Yeah. I mean, when you just go down, like we, we talked about Sean O'Malley, Cody Stamen in there. Rob Font is – Rob Font is only 10th in this division. I mean, it is loaded um, with, with – uh, possibilities. Yeah, and and you know, uh we sort of glossed over the uh flyweight division, but that division is looking really good too right now. You know, like there's there's about 3 4 really good fights that you can do uh in that division. So uh and and then even some people coming up uh on the outside. Um okay, it looks like we've got some questions now. All right. Uh all right. So uh first is from Jared Taylor who wants to know if uh you've checked out if either of us I suppose has checked out of the new content on Fight Pass. Uh he's saying that Year of the Fighter looks kind of interesting. So I have not seen any of this content, but I I 
I will admit that I am intrigued by uh, some of these uh, videos. This the Kimbo Slice piece looks pretty mm-hmm. cool. And uh, not on Fight Pass, of course, is uh, like water. The 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 remastered footage that they were showing uh, in the brief break, I was I did not expect. I didn't realize that that was what that they had stuff like that for this. I, I'm blown away. Like I'm a Bruce Lee fan. I I didn't realize it. I'm I'm so excited. I've I've thing. seen a, a yeah. review uh, from like screeners that are out there, and they say this documentary is tremendous. Like it's it's outstanding. I'm it's airing in Canada on Sunday night as well, so I'm totally going to be watching that. That was a real cool clip that they had uh, tonight, so that should be excellent. Yeah, the Kimbo thing looks really interesting. I have not seen any of the new uh, programming that they've uh, released, but that that Kimbo slice one looked really really interesting. Yeah, yeah, really cool. All right, so Matt Madrigal wants to know what my favorite filter is. We'll we'll, we'll come up on that soon. Um, Next question by Kishan Amirali. I mm. hope I said that correct. Is Megan Anderson the only contender left for 145 for Nunez? If Nunez beats her, there is no one left. What? Yeah, by by process of elimination, um, you you could go with that. Um, you know, with Anderson, I, I think. Sorry. Yes, I mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like. It, you don't need to go that far. There is no one left before Megan Anderson, and that's not me trashing on Megan Anderson. I really like her uh, as a fighter, but she has a huge way to go to be even close to a title shot against Amanda Nunez. So there really is no one. Yeah. I mean, with, with, with Megan Anderson's run in the UFC so far, I mean, she's had, she had the loss to, to Holly Holm, uh, Katzengano. I mean, it was, it was kind of a weird finish where, you know, it was the kick like right near her eye. Uh, then she lost to Felicia Spencer and she is now coming off wins against, uh, again, Phil's, Phil's, uh, sleeper pick, uh, Zara Farin Dos Santos and Norma Dumont Viana. Of course. So that is, uh, no Wikipedia pages for those, uh, for the last two. But yeah, uh, Megan Anderson is kind of, uh, the only option at this point, and I think Amanda Nunez is probably due for a break, and maybe she'll just wait for the division to sort itself out. I'm, I, I'm not, I, I don't know where this division goes ultimately. I mean, there's, it's not like they're bringing in a ton of new featherweights. It's not like this is a division that that's growing each each passing year. It just seems that as long as Amanda Nunez wants to defend both titles, they will keep this division going. But it's it's like barely functional as it is. Like it's held up by Amanda Nunez, and the day she would be to, uh, ever to walk away or lose that title, I, I think that that division is, you know, could be gone. Uh yeah. But people kind of said that about Cyborg, you know. I mean, obviously, if Nunez were to go right now, there is no option for the division. But. Maybe you, you never know how these things materialize. Maybe some contenders can emerge. Um, I do generally agree that the division probably won't be around unless there's a star to carry that title because, um, there just, there just isn't that many people outside of the UFC who are, who are that good. Um, like you have, a, you have a couple people, but they're actually kind of tied up, right? So, and, and none of them should be facing Amanda Nunez. So, yeah. All right. Any other questions? Um, yeah. So, last question uh, is, what would you do with Corey Sandhagen? 
And that's yeah, he, coming from T. Darling. T. Darling, thank you for that question. I, I think he certainly is one of the guys that gets uh, most affected in a negative way tonight. I mean, he's someone that I, I think he's an outstanding fighter, but by his own admission, you know, he, he's not a guy that is a, a difference maker when it comes to having a big name or someone that's going to uh, grab everyone's attention. So that loss tonight in the fashion that it did, uh, I, I think it sets him back significantly uh, that, I mean, there's still fights for him. And I think that he can certainly work his way back, but, this is, you know, I, I don't see him getting uh, one of those major names that we just talked about, but he will have his opportunities. Um, you know, it's just like all the names we listed. It's just a matter of of pairing guys up together. Um, you know, there's a Pedro Munoz out there. There's a Jimmy Rivera, uh, a Rob Font. Um, you know, there's there's guys out there, certainly, and it's just uh, picking where they are. But I think it's going to take Corey Sandhagen. Let me put it this way. Had Corey Sanhagen won tonight, I still feel he would have had to do more work um, than than others just because uh, he, he's not a guy that is going to be your, your first pick when it comes to headlining a pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, I, I generally agree with that. Um, but Dana said it was a number one contenders fight. John, you don't believe Dana? He wouldn't lie. He would never lie. Um, yeah, Sanhagen, not sure what you can do with him. What I would do is, you know, you've got a lot of these bantamweight fights coming up, you know, put, put, I think you, you still keep Sanhagen near that pack, right? Like, like, like a top 10 guy he should get in his next fight. Yeah. So, so maybe, you know, book him against a top 10 guy at the same time as some of these other bantamweight matchups. So if, you know, somebody falls out, you can slide him in there back into a higher rank match but if not he can still go up against somebody lower in the rankings you know the, sort of like what they did tonight with the, all the bantamweights together the best thing this division can do is get that yawn and aldo fight as fast as you can like get get this division rolling and let's get that fight over with um not not that like get over it but it's it, it just creates then where, where we can move forward with all of these different fights so i hope that yawn aldo fight uh happens in the next month or two yeah, I hope so. I mean, there's an, I mean, they have an event next week and an event the week after that. And then there's an event the week after that. And, um, most of these cards are not full. So. No. Do you want to take a look at what's, what's in store next weekend? Sure. Let's, let's go for it. Yeah. Are you um, going to run down the card here? Or. So in the main it? event, we've got, uh, Jessica I against Cynthia Calvillo, Carl Roberson versus Marvin Vittori where I hope they have all the footage ready from the, the <laughs> hotel incident. Uh, Murab Devalashvili versus Ray Borg. Andre Feely against Charles Jordan. Mark De La Rosa versus Jordan Espinosa. Are you readjusting your Saturday night plans as I go deeper into this card? Charles Rosa. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just going to have a party where I'm just going to constantly say Jordan Espinosa versus Mark De La Rosa. Uh, it's going to be Charles Rosa versus Kevin Aguilar, Julia. Another Ab- Rosa. Yeah, uh, there's there's a De La Rosa and a Rosa on the same card. Uh, then we and have an Espinosa. Man, Julia Avila versus Gina Mazzani, Tyson Nam versus Ryan Benoit, Jordan Griffin versus Derek Minner. Minner, that's Minner, the card. Chicken dinner. That's the card. We have nine fights in. Oh, there's there's others. There's others. Uh, Arian Lipsky versus Luana Carolina and Maria Agapova versus Melissa Gatto. 
whoa, oh, I don't know where you're finding these sites. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, hey, look, look, if you're not doing anything next Saturday night and, you know, what else are you going to watch? Right? Like, <laughs> everyone's going to come to postwrestling.com for Eric Marcotte's report and going to find out who won uh, in the Rosa De La Rosa fights. <laughs> and then the next weekend, it, it's a it's a bit of a better card. We have uh, Curtis Blades against Alexander Volkov. Uh, Josh Emmett's on this card. Raquel Pennington. Tisha Torres. So uh, d- this is a fine fight night card in two weeks. And that's all we've got. They d- don't have much beyond that. Uh, we're hearing Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker for June 27th. But it's, uh, yeah, um, they, they don't they have not officially announced when the next pay-per-view is. Like everyone expects it to be uh, the July card on July 11th, but they never promoted the pay per view tonight. Much, much yeah. less like a month out. Like we don't know any fights. We don't even we haven't had the date confirmed by UFC, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, when did this date get confirmed? This date didn't get confirmed until three weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, so, it was, you know, it's uh, certainly during this pandemic, it's not like they can do a ton of uh, long-term uh, planning. So, Well, let, let's say theoretically for the next pay-per-view on July 11th, they have this fight island available, right? So they're, they're probably debating, like, the the determination about the where that pay-per-view is going to be is based on what main event they can get. So if fight island's available and... Izzy is going to fight or somebody who would fight there, then it'll happen then. And then if it's an American fighter, then it'll happen here. I think, you know, they wanted Masvidal. That's what they wanted for that weekend. It makes a lot of sense, but it sounds like that's gone sour. Yeah, it seems like there are several people uh, unhappy right now. And maybe the biggest being John Jones. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's a wild time. I, I'm curious, like, how many of these fighters are actually going to sit out? Um, if I'm John Jones, I mean, unless you are going to get a big payday, you know, why move up to heavyweight? And you know, in the UFC's eyes, if you're not going to draw, why am I going to pay you? So it, it seems like we're at a standstill. It's sort of it's reminding me a little bit of the baseball players, right? It's it's an interesting time period for UFC because they are with this deal with ESPN Plus for a pay per view like they are getting paid the same amount for last month's pay per view as they are for tonight's so there is kind of less of an incentive to go out and and make like the giant fights for ESPN they have that incentive because they're once you make above and beyond a certain amount that that's all gravy for for ESPN but. It's interesting to see so many fighters right now, I think, trying to test their leverage to see what they can what can, what what they can get. Yeah, I mean, test their leverage to see what they can get. Also, in a time, though, where the UFC isn't drawing uh, any fans. And if you generally look at the um, roster, like an event um, payout that usually uh, UFC has, that's... Uh, that usually the athletic commissions uh, make publicly available, the UFC gate lines up generally with what the payouts are. So that cost is already baked in for their events. And so now they're, they're going to be eating that cost. So, but then 
you know, that means pay-per-view is more valuable. So maybe your you being a pay-per-view draw is even more important. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, um, to see what happens. I mean, you know, we, we sort of said we'd never see a union in MMA. Like there's so many things, problematic things, but there's so many crazy things that have been happening in the world in the last few years. You never know. You never know. Well, I do know that whenever the UFC decides to do another pay-per-view, me and Phil will get together and come at you live here at postwrestling.com. So, Phil, I want to thank you for manning the ship tonight and uh, making this thing go off without a hitch. There are nothing. There's nothing anyone can complain about. This has been, I think, a flawless stream, so all credit goes your way. Thank you. I'm aging by the uh, minute here. It's uh, I'm hanging on by just like a dear thread. That's that's oh. how much. Yeah, there you go. Phil is <laughs> Phil is ready. Bring on UFC 251 whenever it's going to take place. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show. So I want to thank everybody that tuned in live or downloaded the show afterwards. However, you found this show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we are going to have uh, Braden and Davey back on Sunday night following. NXT TakeOver in your house. Uh, Phil, are you going to be watching in your house on Sunday night? Um, I will not be watching in your house on Sunday night. I'm going to be watching like water. Be water. Be water. Really? Is that what it's called? Oh, what should be? Okay. All right. Sure. Be water. Whatever. I'm going to watch the Bruce Lee thing. Uh, I'm really excited for that. And, uh, what's, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, story behind in your house? What are they doing this month? Uh, we've got a taped backlot brawl between Adam Cole and the Velveteen Dream. That's going to be okay. the main event. Cool. And we'll have some we'll have some matches. It'll probably be a pretty good wrestling show. Awesome, awesome. That's great. But I will say, I, I think I'm more interested in the Bruce Lee documentary, to be quite honest. Yeah, well, you know that comes every once in a while, and you have a regular stream of wrestling that you're consuming, so it's a bit of a special uh, indulgence. Hopefully, you get to enjoy it. You know, not purely in a professional sense. Uh, I'm going to find time to, uh, at some point tomorrow night to watch it. I definitely recommend the Lance Armstrong documentary, though. I told that's you that. That's right. I that, gotta that, watch that's that. on your list. You got to check it out. All right. Yes. That's it, um, everyone. Just, hey, just let me, let me, let me, let me. Let oh, me wait, wait. wait. There. Plug time. Plug time for you. Plug time. Yeah, I got to plug my own thing. So uh, if you don't know, uh, I've got my own podcast. It's called the Fish Bulb Podcast. That's right. Like a swing fish and a light bulb, fish bulb. Uh, this week, I'm going to have a great guest, Sam Arion. He's a musician, uh, music producer, songwriter, and front man for... Uh, Toronto Act, Mute Choir. We have a great talk about his career path to being a musician. We listen to some of his tunes and talk about that. And uh, it's a whole lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I had to get him on because John continues to uh, avoid committing. I mean, at first, you wouldn't return my calls. Now I'm going straight to voicemail. John, you know, the people have heard you commit to appearing on my show. Wait, wait, wait. The the sides are at d- different points right now. We're we're having our own uh, Dana White John Jones uh, impasse uh, at the moment, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It's it's in the representatives' hands. All right, all right. I'll I, I'll hold out hope, but it's waning, John. Where again can people go to uh, download the podcast? Yeah, so it's available anywhere uh, you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, Spotify, or at fishbulb.podbean.com. All right. 
Well, thanks as always to Phil Chair Talk and all of you for uh, tuning in to our UFC 250 post show. That is it for us. Goodbye.